Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 510 for the 11th of September, 2016. This week, September 11th is an appropriate date for discussing the threat posed by having our own technology turned against us. There's nothing at all amusing in this week's program, but we should start thinking about what the next attack will be like, because there will be one. In short circuits, bring your own device to the office and you'll expose your employer to new threats. But that's nothing compared to the dangers posed by computing devices that employees will wear. Some help is available if you want to determine whether a website is safe before you go there. In spare parts, only on the website, healthcare, telecommunications, retail, and transportation industries continue to struggle with security. An Italian company says the internet will be safe within three years. I have my doubts. And government agencies increasingly are using hackathons to engage with developers. September 11th seems like an appropriate date for discussing threats posed by having our own technology turned against us. In 2001, it was airplanes flown into buildings. The next gathering storm, 15 years later, involves the Internet a lack of preparation for how it could be used against us. But if I tell you it's an unexpected attack, is it really still unexpected? I've been reading several books by authors who have experience to know what they're talking about, and today I'll share some of the troubling information from these books. This isn't a pleasant topic, but I think it's an essential one. The books include these, Glass Houses by Joel Brenner, Brenner's former senior counsel at the National Security Agency, before that, he served as the National Counterintelligence Executive in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence and as the NSA's Inspector General. He's a graduate of the University of Wisconsin at Madison, the London School of Economics, and Harvard Law School. His book describes espionage and warfare on the digital battleground. He says all of us, including businesses and governments, inhabit glass houses that are transparent to a new generation of spies who operate remotely from such places as China, the Middle East, Russia, and even France. Glenn Greenwald's No Place to Hide. In May 2013, Greenwald set out for Hong Kong to meet an anonymous source who claimed to have astonishing evidence of pervasive government spying. That source turned out to be the NSA contractor Edward Snowden. Snowden's revelations began a debate over national security and information privacy. Privacy and security are always at odds with each other. We should have a reasonable expectation of privacy and a reasonable expectation of security. But what's reasonable? And the third book, Future Crimes by Mark Goodwin. By far the most troubling of the three books, Future Crimes was written by Goodwin, who was a futurist in residence with the FBI. He's worked as a senior advisor to Interpol and also served as a street police officer. As the founder of the Future Crimes Institute and the chair for policy, law, and ethics at Silicon Valley's Singularity University, it's actually a think tank, 
He continues to investigate the intriguing and often terrifying intersection of science and security. So what exactly is the threat? Businesses, governments, and our infrastructure are currently being attacked. In more cases than we'd like to admit, the bad guys are able to obtain proprietary data, user credentials, or other valuable information. Goodwin says our electrical grids, air traffic control networks, fire department dispatch systems, and even the elevators at work are all critically dependent on computers. Each day we plug in more and more of our daily lives to the global information grid without pausing to ask what it means. Thousands have found out the hard way. But what should happen if and when the technological trappings of our modern society, the foundational tools upon which we are utterly dependent, all go away? What is humanity's backup plan, he asks, and answers his own question. In fact, none exists. Thieves and terrorists have learned about the importance of being quiet as they prepare their attacks. The threats change so quickly that protective software is all but useless. That doesn't mean you should stop using anti-malware and antivirus applications, but it does mean that it's very important not to assume that they will catch every threat that's thrown at you. They won't. If a crook or a terrorist wants your computer, your computer will be theirs. Fortunately, most attacks still use antiquated methods that the protective applications know about. But your computer wouldn't even notice some of the newer, sophisticated threats. In 2010, the AV test research firm in Germany said 49 million strains of computer malware existed in the wild. A year later, McAfee said it identified 2 million new types of malware every month. And in 2013, Russia's Kaspersky Lab says that it identified 200,000 new types of malware every day. Now, these numbers need to be considered in terms of who is reporting them, cybersecurity companies. These companies might tend to inflate the numbers by reporting nearly identical types of malware as something new. But even if Kaspersky's number is inflated by a factor of 100, and the real number of new bits of malware is only 200 per day, that's still 73,000 new threats every year. Marcus Jacobson, who you've heard here on TechBiter Worldwide previously, is a longtime cybersecurity expert. He wrote recently on his blog, Online crime is going through an upheaval. Only a few years ago, the typical online crime involved scammers email blanket bombing anybody they could reach, offering recipients discounted Cialis and posing as Libyan widows, although normally not in the same email. While such abuse is still taking place, this type of crime has shifted sharply to targeted attacks, whether involving malware used for extortion or using social engineering to extract money or proprietary data. The move to targeting fueled by breaches and a dearth of public information, increases yields by making the messaging more credible and by circumventing traditional security technologies. The poster child of targeted email attacks is the Business Mail Compromise, or BEC, which the FBI reports has increased 1,300% since 2015. Email is an indispensable tool for enterprises and individuals and for criminals. Here's Goodwin again. According to Verizon's 2013 Data Breach Investigations report, most businesses have proven simply incapable of detecting when a hacker has breached their information system. 
The survey Goodwin describes was conducted by Verizon in conjunction with the U.S. Secret Service, the Dutch National Police, and the U.K. Police Central E-Crimes Unit. On average, he says, 62% of intrusions against businesses took at least two months to detect. A similar study by Trustware Holdings revealed that the average time from an initial breach of the company's network until discovery of the intrusion was an alarming 210 days. But that's just the business side of the equation. What happens when thieves attack government agencies? In glass houses, Brenner notes Pentagon information systems have been under attack since at least 1998. In August of 2006, Major General William Lord of the Air Force let the public in on a secret when he mentioned the massive heist of up to 20 terabytes. To carry this volume of documents in paper form, you'd need a line of moving vans stretching from the Pentagon to the Chinese freighters docked in Baltimore Harbor 50 miles away. If the Chinese tried to do that, we'd have the National Guard out in 15 minutes. But when they did it electronically, hardly anyone noticed. As it happens, the data were stolen from the Pentagon's unclassified network, but those networks hold lots of sensitive information, including the names and private identifying information of every man and woman in the U.S. Armed Forces. According to Mark Goodwin, in 2008, the top-secret design specs for the President's Marine One helicopter were found freely available online, hosted on a peer-to-peer network in Iran. These peer-to-peer networks allow for easily decentralized file sharing. They're most often associated with the distribution of pirated films and music on the digital underground. So how did top-secret plans and capabilities of one of the most technologically advanced helicopters in the world end up in the hands of the Iranians? Simple. A military contractor in Bethesda, Maryland, working with the Marine One Project, decided he wanted to listen to free music on his work laptop. When he downloaded some popular peer-to-peer sharing software, he accidentally and unknowingly installed the program in the wrong directory on his computer. As a result, the plans and defensive security features of the military helicopter that shuttles the President from the White House to Air Force One leaked to -to peer-to-peer music sharing networks around the world, including those in Iran. For want of free music, a billion-dollar military project was compromised and the blueprints for the President's Sikorsky VH-3D helicopter ended up on a peer-to-peer network in Iran, hosted next to pirated songs of both Michael Jackson and Shadmir Aghili, the undisputed king of Persian pop. The former military contractor interrogated by both the FBI and the Department of Defense admitted his error, but by then, of course, the damage had been done. Our global interconnections and never-ending storage of more and more data means leaks are inevitable. And utilities. Brenner says we can't ensure the safety of our infrastructure such as electric grids, financial systems, air traffic control, and other networks. All these systems run electronically. All run using the same public telecommunications backbone. And increasingly all run on commercial, off-the-shelf hardware and software that can be bought anywhere in the world. Many of these systems have already been penetrated by criminal gangs or foreign intelligence services, sometimes to steal, sometimes to reconnoiter for uncertain purposes, using offensive tools that are often more effective than our defenses. All of these systems could become targets for disruption in wartime or even during a lower-grade conflict like a diplomatic standoff. Both Goodwin and Brenner note that most nation-states today exist in a continual state of conflict. 
the U.S. and China are not at war. In fact, the two nations are partners in commerce. But there's no question that Chinese hackers have been able to break into numerous commercial enterprises and exfiltrate proprietary data, and that they have also broken into government agencies such as the Department of Defense to obtain information about technology and plans. Russia and Iran are also implicated, but so are our allies, Israel and France, for example. The U.S. Office of Personnel Management, OPM, learned something was wrong in March of 2014 when they received a warning from the Office of Homeland Security's Computer Emergency Readiness Team, or U.S. CERT. U.S. CERT said the data was being exfiltrated from its network. The connection wasn't shut down right away. Instead, OPM and U.S. CERT worked together to monitor the attack. One hacker was attempting to gain clearance for employee background information, so in May of 2014, OPM shut that hacker out of the system. But another hacker gained access in June and continued to have access until near the end of August. In December 2014, 4.2 million personnel records were exfiltrated. Now, an analysis by the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee says the incident could have been avoided. The recently released 241-page report concludes that the OPM failed to implement basic security controls prior to the intrusion and failed to respond quickly enough once they knew about it. A copy of the full report, if you'd like to read it, is on the Oversight Committee's section of the House website. There's a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. It's a 110-megabyte PDF document. But what about you and me? We may expect privacy, but we make a huge amount of personal information public using social media. Google knows more about most of us than the NSA, the FBI, the CIA, the UK's MI5, Russia's GRU, and Israel's Mossad combined. Google profiles you, stores the information, and sells you, or the information about you, to advertisers. Brenner says that Google processes about 24 petabytes of data every day. That's one million gigabytes every day. In print form, a single gigabyte of information would fill about 10 yards on a bookshelf. If all the data Google processed on a daily basis were printed and those books were stacked on top of each other, the pile of books would reach halfway from the Earth to the Moon every day. In 2014, the most recent year for which Brenner had information, collectively this happened every minute of every day. We sent 204 million email messages queried Google's search engine 2 million times, shared 684,000 pieces of content on Facebook, sent out 100,000 tweets on Twitter, downloaded 47,000 apps from the Apple App Store, uploaded 48 hours of new video to YouTube, posted 36,000 new photographs on Instagram, and texted 34 million messages on WhatsApp. Every minute, every day. Developers of protective applications have started what will probably be a long-term trend of acquisitions and mergers. Smaller operators are being acquired by larger ones, and they in turn are then being acquired by still larger organizations. This week, for example, Intel announced that it has begun the process of returning McAfee to the wild. Intel sold 51% of the company to investment firm TPG and will retain the other 49% for now. TPG will pay Intel $3.1 billion in cash, which makes the deal a slight money loser for Intel. The company bought McAfee in 2011 for $7.7 billion, so it's a loss of about $600 million on the portion that the company sold. 
Apparently, somebody at Intel thought that acquiring McAfee would help the company improve its hardware security. But the threat landscape is now more cloud-based than computer-based. According to the Intel announcement, the new McAfee will be one of the largest pure-play cybersecurity companies and will be valued at $4.2 billion. If pure-play is a new term to you, it was to me, it means probably what you think it means, a company that focuses exclusively on a particular product or service in order to obtain a large market share. In a letter to stakeholders, Intel Security General Manager Chris Young said that Intel will continue partnering with McAfee's unit on security. Young will head the new company. The deal should close sometime in the second quarter of 2017. The takeaway for all this? Government should be doing a lot more than it's doing to force utilities to harden their automated management systems. Companies should be doing a lot more than they're doing to protect customers' data. And individual computer owners should take time to understand the threats that are arrayed against us. They are huge. Oh, pleasant dreams. In Short Circuits, we continue the theme of security. Bring Your Own Device is today's incarnation of the original intrusion of the PC into the workplace. Managers bought early Apple computers, took them to the office, and used them to process corporate data faster than they could have done it on mainframes. Now it's phones and tablets. IT didn't like it a lot back then, but the intrusion of consumer electronics into the workplace wasn't much of a threat because nothing was connected to the network. Now the Internet connects every device everywhere to every other device, and Bring Your Own Device presents significant dangers. Among the hazards, data breaches because of a lack of proper security protocols and encryption on devices or missed operating system updates, a data leakage as a result of device software not being regularly updated, malware on the device finding its way into the corporate network, Every company has tech-savvy employees who try to bypass restrictions or misuse Wi-Fi, and then there are the careless ones who simply lose their personal devices with your corporate data on it. Personal devices should pose no greater danger to the company than company-issued hardware, with one important consideration. Primary efforts should focus on securing the core of the system first, then work outwards with access control, authentication control, and device control. Start by creating a structured network segmentation strategy. A tiered networking structure might include a public network, a private intranet network, and a network for secure limited access. This allows public and unauthorized devices to have access to the internet through the public network, while authorized devices have secure networks, and for that, devices must meet your BYOD standards. The secure network should be super tight, IP restricted, user limited, and behind a VPN. Move on to limiting access to systems through single point and apply fine-grained access controls. If access is always through a central point, you can add role-based access to limit who has rights to use what. It's important to work on the principle of least privilege to ensure that employees have access to the services they really need, but nothing else. This allows you to control who has access to what when in the office network and when outside and to set restrictions on certain file shares or applications to within-the-office network only, 
so that these can be audited and monitored for data leakage. Once you've completed the first two steps, then you need to increase authentication to corporate resources. This means introducing identity and access management and single sign-on technology to ensure the network is being accessed securely through correct identity mapping, correct access assignments, and authentication flows. And the last step involves those bring-your-own-device devices. It's time to manage the BYO devices with technology that controls what's installed on them, monitors their use, and can lock them or erase them if they're lost or stolen. The next challenge a little further down the road, WYOD, wear your own device. Wearable computing devices will probably make BYOD look like those original Apple II computers on a manager's desk. great if you could ask somebody about a site before you visited it, particularly when someone has sent you a shortened link that gives you no real clue about what the site is. Well, you can do just that, but with the understanding that it's not a perfect system. Online link scan can help you avoid potentially dangerous sites, but it's important to understand that it's an automated tool and a site that's deemed to be safe by an automated tool might not really be. Scammers often use misspellings of common names. Microsfot, M-I-C-R-O-S-F-O-T, for example, instead of Microsoft. Well, in that case, Microsoft has actually registered the misspelling and it redirects the requests to the company's home page. The same is true for Google.com with three O's instead of two. Google has licensed it. You can't count on any organization to think of every possible misspelling of their domain name, though, and license it. And it's even more challenging when somebody sends you a link that goes to a site you've never heard of. You'll see an example on the TechFighter Worldwide website. The site listed there is safe. It's a video about the 1950s. You might enjoy it. I had never visited the site, so I opened online link scan, and here's what I found out. It said overall the site is safe. Fishtank thinks the site is safe. Google Safe Browsing thinks the site is safe. Web Security Guard thinks the site is safe. It has a Google page rank of zero. That's pretty low. It has an Alexa rank of 55,666. Online Link Scan also provided a little bit of who is information and some information about the IP address, where it's located, for example. So that's one way to give yourself slightly better odds if somebody sends you a link and you're not quite sure about it. One thing you can be sure about, spare parts, is only on the website. This week, healthcare, telecommunications, retail, and transportation industries continue to struggle with security. An Italian company says the Internet will be safe within three years. I have my doubts. And government agencies increasingly are using hackathons to engage developers. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.